Hello, innovative teachers. In today's episode, we get to talk with Chris Woods from Daily Stand and M&A from Sprouting STEM. We get to talk all about remote learning strategies and how we can apply what we've learned to the classroom. Today's episode is sponsored by Blackbird Coding, and we've talked about them before, but they're incredible. Basically, Blackbird Coding is an innovative coding learning software company that you can use easily in education and it ensures that students are taught code correctly. And it's text-based, which I love because a lot of them are block-based, so it's a great opportunity to expose your students to just something completely different than what we normally do with most websites. So log in free and start writing code today. You can reach them at www.blackbirdcode.com. That's www.blackbirdcode.com. We can't wait to learn and grow with you through this awesome panel we were a part of. The Innovative Teacher Podcast is created for teachers to learn and grow together and move their classrooms forward. Current K-5 STEM teachers, Naomi Meredith and Spencer Sharp, dive into various technology topics. They talk Makerspace, STEAM, and PBL, and other hands-on tasks to engage your students. Every Thursday, they bring you the best in technology in the classroom. From interviewing people to real examples from our own classroom, they fully believe that being an innovative teacher is what will separate you from the rest of the pack. Turning your classroom into something that you love and are passionate about. So come join them as we try to impact the world of education. And now, your hosts, Naomi and Spencer. All right. Mine kind of zoned out there. I'm sorry. My my screen did, but we are here um, at Office Hours Welcome, presented by School Rubric. So we are super excited um, to be here. I know I'm excited to host um, my very first one. I know I was talking about how I was a little nervous just because we have so many great people here with us. And Office Hours is all about answering those questions from educators, administrators, and you know, with different podcasters. So we're all excited to be here. Um, to bring you those. So we're going to do some quick introductions um, here as we begin. So Naomi, I know we know each other very well because you are obviously the co-host of the Innovative Teacher Podcast. Do you mind kind of giving us a little run through for people who maybe don't know you? Definitely. So for those who don't know me, I am Naomi Meredith. I'm a former classroom teacher turned current K through five STEM teacher and I'm almost 10 years of being in education. And I love helping teachers implement STEM and technology in their own classrooms. Thank you so much, Naomi. That was absolutely perfect. Um, now we're going to turn it over to one of my favorite people ever on Twitter, which is Chris. Every time I see one of his tweets, I know it's going to be something that I can use in my classroom and get my students excited. So, Chris, could you do a little quick introduction for us? Uh, sure thing, Spencer. Thanks a lot for having me again. Thanks to School Rubric and all the great stuff that that they're doing to help educators. I mean, that's that's what this is all about. That's what I'm all about. I mean, I'm I'm helping the kids in my classroom. I'm a, I'm a high school math teacher, but I love helping my kids and helping other educators realize that there's ways to to connect. 
all that stuff that's out there in the real world with the stuff that they're doing in the classroom. And and yeah, you said it, Spencer. I love sharing those things on, on social media, especially Twitter. And uh, I'm always happy to help. Awesome. Thank you so much, Chris. And then our last person is M&A, who was actually on the Innovative Teacher Podcast, um, episode 32, talking all about engineering design process. So we know she knows a lot. And the crazy part is for her, her day is just beginning. So we're going to let her do just a little introduction here um, on what she does. Yeah, good morning, everybody. My name's Emine. Um, I'm calling all the way from New Delhi, India. I started as a classroom teacher in Detroit, and I opened up a STEM center here in New Delhi. So I would have kids from all over Delhi come to me, and I would teach them all things STEM. And um, currently, I am running my blog, Sprouting STEMs. Um, and I'm happy to be here. Happy to connect with people from all over. Awesome. Awesome. I am so excited um, as we kind of begin into our topic tonight. And the best part about being the host is I get to kind of introduce that topic. And of course, we're talking STEM with all of us awesome STEM educators here. And we're talking remote learning strategies, the strategies that maybe worked for us, uh, maybe that didn't work so well. And really, this is so important as it's all about, you know, that disciplinary. We're able to use STEM from all different kinds of um, curriculum, whether it's math, science, engineering, and we can put it almost anywhere. So, you know, it really does apply to all educated educators today as, as we kind of go um, into our topic. And our format is we're going to be doing two different questions where we're all just going to do a little bit of answering. And then we got a little something extra for you guys at the end. We all have pictures that we picked out um, of different artifacts that we're going to kind of talk through. And I know I'm a visual learner, so I'm very excited about that part as we move forward. And we encourage you guys to chat and comment um, and kind of let us know what you are thinking and we will try to view those and take those into consideration as we begin our fun little journey here. So our first question comes from Kayla who is a STEM coordinator and she was actually on the Innovative Teacher Podcast a while back. So we are going to listen to that question and digest it. Hey, I am Kayla Norville and I'm a STEM coordinator and also owner and founder of Right in the Middle. And my question is, uh, creating engaging strategies via remote learning is, is challenging. So as we transition to the classroom, what are some effective strategies that you've used to facilitate student thinking, engagement, and problem solving from remote learning? Awesome. What a great question. Um, I know as we are transitioning into some different learning here, um, this is one of the questions that we all, all probably get asked, asked a lot. So, Chris, what are your thoughts on this question as we're kind of moving forward with remote learning strategies? Yeah, uh, it's definitely a great question. Uh, I'm so glad that uh, Kayla asked this because uh, us as educators, I mean, we're all at like different stages of, of going back to the classroom. And, and some of us are, you know, just trying to figure out how that how that's going to work, especially after we all had to like jump into the, the deep end, you know, 10 months, a year ago. Uh, from now, but uh, here we are, and and you know what? These kids are excited to get back, and and as soon as we do uh, get back with them, you know, now or if we already have um, these kids, uh, you know, they're they're a little bit, I think, nervous. They're a little bit subdued. My kids were. We, we're just starting back, you know, hybrid style, and uh, but I tell you what, I've been able to bring in a lot of the the curiosity, the creativity, the wonder that I was able to build with them in remote learning. 
uh, right into the classroom. And we still have some kids that are virtual. We still have some kids that are at home on some of those days. So it's so important that we find ways to make sure that every kid matters, whether they're in the classroom physical or in the classroom virtual, every kid needs to matter. And, and um, you know, so that's creating projects that the kids at home and kids in the classroom can do uh, at the same time. How do we connect those things? And, and to me, that's the biggest thing. Every kid still needs to know that they matter, whether they're in the room or not in the room. That's always what it's always been about, right? And Chris, I love that you said that because I feel like that really speaks to STEM. You know, every kid gets to put their personality in STEM and that's such an engaging feel for STEM. You know, that's the part that's authentic, engaging for STEMs. Um, so from that M&A, what are some different ways maybe you have I've seen some engagement strategies in those different remote learning strategies. I know things yeah. look very different. So this is going to be a great perspective for our listeners tonight. Yeah, I, I mean, different, but the same. Uh, my school has been all virtual. And honestly, uh, they're leaving it up to the schools to decide what they want to do. And we might be virtual for another year. Um, we don't know. So we're just kind of taking it as it comes. Um, but remote learning has really taught me to slow down my instruction um, and also to engage with my students in dialogue because um, talking online just doesn't work. So a really quick strategy for um, teachers out there that are listening, there's an institute called the Right Question Institute. And it was just a quick thing that they teach that really shifts the dynamics in the classroom from being um, the sage on stage to guide on the side. So I would, I, I was able to get low cost electronic kits sent out to all the kids so that um, while we're working virtually, they're able to build small circuits, um, make things start to move. So I was able to get that hands-on component back in. But let's say we're talking about gears. I would post the focus, this is not a wheel. And then for five to 10 minutes, all they're doing is asking me questions. Well, um, if it's not a wheel, what are the spiky things around it? If I put two of them together, what happens? Why are there different sizes of this? And through inquiry and through asking questions, they're kind of able to figure out, okay, there's a hole in the middle. Maybe something can go in there. Maybe that's where an axle can go. Um, and it just moves everything from me saying, okay, this is a gear. This is where your axle goes. This is where you're supposed to fix your axle. Um, this is how your gear ratio works. They're able just through inquiry and asking questions to figure out how those gears work and they've taken complete ownership over their learning. So that's just one simple way that uh, you can do is to pose a focus and have students start to ask questions about that focus. And then at the end, after they've experimented, um, go back and research that and fully answer it. Yes, and I mean, I absolutely love that you talked about that because I feel like <laughs> inquiry, inquiry, and I could say that all day to people, you know, what does that look like for students? You know, how can we take this and make this something in remote learning settings? So like websites like that are such a good tool for remote learning. I feel like as we move to the classroom, we can say, well, this is an enrichment for students. You know, we can use this in so many different ways, you know, as we do that. So Naomi, I know a lot of your different strategies, but could you maybe add on to kind of some of these remote learning strategies um, that we have talked about so far? 
Yeah, definitely. So my school year has been interesting. I have been 100% in person most of the school year. Um, I was only remote for maybe about a month, and then we still have had classes going to quarantine. But uh, the biggest thing that I have found that's been successful online and also in the classroom is keeping things simple. Doesn't mean that your instruction is watered down at all, but keeping the material simple, your directions clear, very direct, and you can get to the meat of that lesson. So that has been super successful. Even when I've had to plan something on the fly, a class has gone into quarantine that morning. The more simple, the better. Um, and that we can all have a still great experience when we're exploring all those different STEM challenges. Yes, and I think the exploring part is, you know, absolutely incredible. Incredible. We had a question in the comments. Um, and it's one that I think we should address because it's a great question. And I know we've all had to deal with it in here. Um, so, you know, muting and unmuting, is it worth it for questions or just using chat? If you have large groups, like 30 plus kids more when you're doing, you know, informal education. So what are our, what are some thoughts on this? Chris, let's take it back to you since you were the first person that was able to talk. Yeah. And uh, thanks for the question, Aaron. Um, Aaron is a terrific ed educator, by the way, and has a super book if anybody hasn't checked it out, STEM superheroes. But um, yeah, uh, you know, I teach I teach ninth graders and eighth graders. So uh, for me, you know, sometimes they just don't want to talk. And so we use the chat box. And, and for me, I have to make that a priority. I have to say, all right, get your chat box fingers ready. You know, get your get your chat box. Here we go. We're going to see what you got in the chat box. You know, and even just like right at the start, you know, you're saying, Give me a number one to five, how you feeling today? And and just giving them easy things to just like break the ice because, you know, middle schoolers, high schoolers, they don't want to be the first one, right? I mean, they they don't want to be that one to break it. So you just give them easy things to do like that, you know, and, and, and for some of the other ages, you know, maybe some of the uh, the other guests can can speak to that. But for me, my, my kids, and sometimes they, they unmute and sometimes they love to tell me stories. I mean, I love to ask them, you know, um, you know, what do you think of this? You know, how could this work? You know, how could we, how could we figure this out? Getting them but as much as we can, but also really, really giving those kids that option um, and but encouraging them to somehow participate. Yes. And I completely agree. I know, you know, I, elementary is a little bit different, but I think the key word that you kind of said there is that you're building that relationship. Like we talked about earlier, making those kids feel important no matter what and checking in with them and saying, you know, how can we make this learning effective? So m a what are maybe some strategies you kind of use with that muting and yeah. unmuting? Um, it, it depends on it depends on the platform you're using. So on Microsoft Teams, you have your channels, right? So you'll have one team and then you can break them out into different channels. So if you have a group of 40 kids, you can have, let's say, seven, uh, eight different channels and then put five in there and then unmuting and unmuting isn't a problem, right? Um, and the same goes with Zoom. I, I know some districts uh, don't allow breakout rooms to happen, um, but that's one way that you can kind of combat that. Um, let's say breakout rooms aren't allowed, then Jamboards are perfect for that, right? So um, you can have big Jamboards open with your focus question in the middle, and then they can just start putting up their post-it notes and asking their questions that way. And each um, Jamboard can be dedicated towards a group of kids. So you're still able to break them out into groups, but um, you still have them in one space. Um, so there, there are ways to go around that. I, I think a lot of that is setting norms and procedures, right? Like at the beginning, I would have to play a Zoom etiquette game with my kids um, and teach them when it was appropriate to turn their mic on and off. Um, but I, I, I think it really just depends on the platform you're using. But uh, 
online, if you can get them into small groups and to interact with each other, the more they're able to uh, engage in dialogue with each other, that's just going to make the learning even more meaningful because they need that time to just like be together and be intellectual and talk about their learning. So, yes. And I love all those different ideas you said. And I know for me too, personally, I love Jamboard and I like to give my kids a lot of choice. And I think like what you said speaks a lot to that, you know, when it came to <clears throat> remote learning strategies and I would use Jamboard, Flipgrid. I mean, I try to pull every single trick I had in the bag to be able to say, you know, what is a way I can get you communicating with me and we can kind of, you know, know this learning is happening and make it authentic as possible. So Naomi, if you'd like to kind of add to that, I feel like they did a pretty good job, but I know you use some really creative strategies during remote learning to mute and un- um, I agree with MA, especially with the younger kids and even older kids too. Setting up those expectations and norms are very important and even teaching them the tools. I had little signs that I would show them um, different tools along the way. So especially the younger students um, knowing what the chat is and how it's used. Um, my kindergartners were very excited about learning about the um, emojis that you can post. I got a little, lots of little hearts that day, which was very exciting. But um, those norms are super great. Um, with the older students, Pear Deck was really successful for me. Another way that students can respond to a lesson and engage and interact. Uh, the free version is great. So definitely check that out. And just another way to mix up your lessons. Yes. Thank you so much, Naomi. And I know um, Aaron, she's absolutely incredible. So thank you, Aaron, for that question. She has awesome books about life science. I'm in cow farts and we got to talk to her one of our episodes or she did a little tidbit in one of our episodes one time. So it was really good to hear from her. So thank you so much, Aaron. So it really seems like when we're talking about this question one, we're looking at, you know, those different strategies that connect students to the curriculum, make it authentic as possible when we have that distance. Um, so which is going to lead us to our next question. But before we go to our next question, I want to remind you that office hours is on every Tuesday at 8 p.m. And you need to make sure you subscribe so you know that at school rubric, you know, follow them at school rubric underscore SR on Twitter. And our next question comes from Anita Goodwin, a second grade teacher and a green, a green screen special. I can't say that 10 times if I wanted to play the video. I'm Anita Goodwin and I blog at goodwinnovate.com. I have all links to my social media for you want to check any of those out there. But I have today's question for you. Remote learning has looked different almost everywhere this year. How has remote learning looked for you? As we transition back to the classroom, what are some key takeaways from your experience that relate to STEM education? Thank you so much, Anita. Um, that was such a great question. Um, you can find her at goodinnovations.com. Um, and I love this question because I'm a firm believer in everything kind of happens for a reason and what we take away and what we can grow from it is what's most important. So I know I had a bunch of key takeaways, you know, when I'm looking at remote learning and moving back into the classroom. Naomi, what are some key takeaways you had from remote learning as we move back into the class? 
So one of the biggest things that I've seen, I'm sure many other teachers have seen this as well, is that resilience in students, that they are more adaptable than we think, and that they are so willing to try new things. And they have learned so many different um, technology skills from this and being able to be creative with what they have. And I've seen that back in the classroom, and they've been able to help each other and problem solve a lot more in more effective ways. So that has been so amazing to see in the kids. And also when you are teaching online, the use of visuals and simple directions, as I talked about the simplicity before, but those visuals are still very important when you're teaching online and also in person. So using those strategies as well has made that transition a lot easier. Um, and so it was very seamless when we were all together, um, back together in the winter time, which was super great. I love how you said like that technology piece too, because for my, one of my biggest takeaways was that, you know, what I can do with technology now in my classroom is substantially, you know, greater than where it maybe was last year. Cause maybe I didn't have that uh, capability in that time, you know, and I feel like kids learn so much about technology. Um, so going from that, Chris, I know high school looks a little bit different, but what are some key takeaways maybe you saw um, for your math classroom and how STEM can relate back to that classroom now? Yeah, um, definitely, uh, definitely a great question here. And, and um, you know, to me, the biggest thing is, is, is really two things. Um, number one, I mean, we've had that opportunity to talk about problem solving for the past year almost, you know, I mean, this, this pandemic is a big problem, but problems prevent present the opportunity for solutions. And so problem solving is is a huge topic that now, anytime you want to talk about problem solving now, teachers, you have like the easiest opportunity to say, we just lived through this giant problem. Everybody helped look for solutions. Guess what? We can find solutions to things and, and we can find solutions to whatever's coming in the future. Whatever happens, you know, yeah, it's a problem, but it's also an opportunity, an opportunity to innovate, opportunity to create, opportunity to stretch our minds, to persevere, to work hard. Um, but the other thing that I would say is this, though, and, I, and I've seen this just with, with my students, that there, there's a certain level of confidence that they need right now as they come back to this, you know, where where they they feel like, you know, they've just had a hard time uh, for the, these last bunch of months. And it's been hard. You know, I mean, their technology doesn't work and and things like that. They, and they haven't got to, like, speak up in class. They haven't got to be around their friends a lot. And so they're just they're just lacking a lot of confidence. And so as much as I can, I'm saying, like, uh, hey, they're geniuses. Hey, they're all stars. Hey, they're. Uh, how we doing, you know, fist bumps, high fives, you know, fake ones, you know, like start a class, end a class, even virtual, you know, I mean, I'm like fake fist bumping the kids at home and and just getting them pumped up, excited because we need that. These kids need just that, that confidence to help grow out of uh, out of what we're doing. So. Yes. And I love how you said problem, solution, problem, solution, because that is the biggest key to STEM. All STEM curriculum revolves around problem, solution, and it's all around us. So MA, I know you are clear across the world. So how has this looked for you on key takeaways from STEM education as we go back into the classroom? Um, I, it really taught me like less is more, number one. Um, and, and the importance of community um, and building those relationships, not just with uh, the kids, but also with the parents and making sure, especially in the beginning, uh, that we were really all on the same page as to, okay, this is going to be a really big learning curve for all of us. So we have to be patient and we can't expect a lot in the beginning. Um, and 
I, and, and as the time went on, uh, we got a lot better at onboarding even new students, for example, and making sure like if we had a new student enrolled in the school, they were getting a one on one, like 30, 40 minute session with that teacher, maybe once a week just to get to know the teacher. Right. Um, so not forgetting that behind the screen, we have a little kid. And just like what Chris said, who is missing the whole experience of being with their friends, being with their peers, which is so important, which is as important as the academics, which this has really taught us the social aspect of school. So making sure that we allow opportunities for that to happen and we try to um, integrate the social aspect into the day as much as the academic. Yes. And I mean, with that social aspect, I feel like you could do so many cool technology things. Like I know, MA, some of your students yeah. created a little podcast. And I remember they, yeah. Like, yeah. And that was like, that's a really cool <laughs> piece. A couple of, of them. Features. They've got one was actually featured in the New York Times, which was really yeah. cool. It's called Newsy Jacuzzi. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> that is really yeah, cool. Yeah. They're I doing that. amazing. <laughs> so when, I, when you said that, I had to point that out because I thought that was really cool. We have yeah. another great question though um, from the audience. So Charles is wondering what was an early STEM failure and how did you learn from that experience? Which, wow, what a great question because I can't tell you how many times I've done a STEM project and I'm like, that did not go how I wanted it to. But I'm gonna pass this question on to Chris first. Chris, what is what are some failures and how did you learn from that experience? Uh, I, th I think we all experienced failures at the start. So, um, you know, for, for me, you know, of course, it's, it's just how do you how do you get materials into kids hands? You know, I mean, you, you can't always. So, I mean, that that first, you know, problem was really, you know, something again to solve. You know, how do you do that? And so, so then teachers, you know, and STEM teachers are great. Teachers are great. We adapt. Right. So so we got to find ways to say, well, my kids might not have every single material. So let's just use any materials you got. Let's let's make our things more wide open. And I think that's, you know, that solution is also something that then we uh, can can move off of, you know, here when we get back to classrooms, you know, realize that let's make these things wide open. Definitely, um, especially in my, I still make failures as well in my classroom for sure. Um, I often get way better at the lesson with the kids the fourth time around when I see the fourth group. But um, when noticing how to use the materials and seeing the ways students modify their designs, they come up with ways that I never think of and they take the lesson sometimes in better ways than I had planned. So it might be my failure of planning, but they always discover great ways to be innovative and make the lesson even better, which has been awesome. Yes, and I feel like that's so important. So I appreciate you know you guys saying that um, and taking that question from the audience. So now we're gonna move on to what I've been excited for the whole time, and that is the visual piece. I'm a visual learner, so we're going to look at some different pictures that we have collected um, beforehand, and we're going to kind of go through them and talk a little bit about them, and it's kind of like our little share out, um, so to speak. So we are going to get started with this, and our first person is MA, and I love this picture um, that she was able to share with us. Could you tell us a little bit more about this and kind yes. of what is going on in the picture? 
Yes. Um, so again, this is from an organization called Project Zero. And Project Zero comes up with uh, thinking routines that are specifically related to STEM and makerspace education. So um, originally, makerspace education was designed for agency, how to teach children or students to take ownership of the systems designed in their lives, right? So if a system is designed, it's not serving us anymore, we can redesign it. So this is the first step in doing that. And this activity is called Parts, Purposes, and Complexities. It's a toy deconstruction activity. So kids would bring in their own old toys that they didn't want anymore. And I would give them the tools and they would disassemble it and we would label all the parts that they saw. And what happens is they already had this, this was a seven or eight year old that did this. What happens is they already have a little bit of background knowledge because we did a little bit of robotics. Um, but what we, this teaches them is uh, they'll take a couple things apart. They'll see the big things, maybe the motors, the LED lights. Those are things that they know. And I'll say, but keep going, keep going, keep going, keep looking. What else do you find? And over the course of 20 minutes on their own, they're like, oh, I see the screw is holding this together. I see this battery is powering this with these lights. And I see that this wing is here. Oh, I see that they put that this head is here. Um, so it teaches them to look closely at things. It teaches them how to use tools properly. It teaches them how their toys are working. But it also teaches them that all systems are interconnected and interdependent at a very, very, very small level. And then we can take it even further. Like then from here, another activity that I do with them is how does the fruit get from your from the farm to your house? How does that system look? And where in that, what in that system can we fix? Um, so yeah, I, again, it's from Project Zero. It's another Harvard-backed um, organization and they have amazing, easy, no cost thinking routines to implement in your gen ed classroom that are completely um, STEM focused. What, what an absolute awesome project. I I love this photo. I, I mean, I absolutely do. So thank you, Mene. Um, We're going to transition to Chris now. And I love that Chris took a picture of the tweet because I feel like it really captures, you know, that remote learning aspect and kind of what he was able to accomplish here. So Chris, could you tell us a little bit more about this photo? Yeah, and, and definitely. And it also fits right along with that question from Charles earlier about an early STEM fail too. I mean, you know, you think of how do you explain something like like the surface area of a sphere when you're trying to do that remotely, and and how do you how do you make it tangible for kids? And 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 the formula is just five four times pi times radius squared. Well, pi times radius squared is a circle, so you peel a piece of fruit, and all that fruit peeling should cover four circles, four pi r squared. And so, you know, just looking for those simple things you can do again using anything that a kid might have at home. Um, but you know what? There was also some kids that just couldn't do it. One kid said, I don't have any fruit, Mr. Woods. So we're like, okay, so let's problem solve this. You know, how could we do that? What do you got? You know, what do you got that's round? What can you take apart? What can you peel? And, and we came up with a solution. I can't even remember it right now, but we, we just got to do what we got to do sometimes. And, and it's a simple thing and look for those simple things. That and is I feel really like that, I feel like that speaks to remote learning so much, you know, we got to do what we got to do and figure it out. And I think this is such a cool visual for kids especially for math components when kids are doing that because you know visual learning is so so helpful for kids and we all know that um as stem educators um next up we got naomi um and she has two awesome photos that she was saying earlier how she was like these were you know taken by the kids that was taking other projects so hats off to them for taking great photos <laughs> naomi could you tell us a little bit more about 
So the kids sent these to me and Seesaw after our lesson. So with the younger students, we had these engineer inspiration boards that related to a theme that we were learning about. Um, these are two separate lessons, but um, using whatever they had at home, students use this inspiration to decide how to recreate it themselves. So it was pretty exciting. The kids were really, um, I'm sure you have seen, uh, excited about what they have used um, at, around home, sharing all of their different toys and different ways to build. Some kids use Play-Doh, like you see, Lego. I had kids bring their own cardboard, um, all sorts of fun stuff. So it was really great to help them engage and uh, communicate while we were building and then seeing some of their creations afterwards. And it's, yeah, it's so neat to see the pieces tied together and see the results of that. So thank you so much, Naomi. And I'm excited because I actually got to do a couple pictures for these, you know, little pictures here too. So I put two of them because I couldn't decide. And my left one is all about that mystery. You know, even though we're going back to in-person remote learning, a lot of times I put random items in a bag and I gave kids challenges on what they could build. And still kids came up with just the coolest things. And I still do that in my room now. I mean, the picture on the right, you're seeing me get way too excited in the first couple weeks there of um quarantine where we worked on some rube goldberg machines what are some simple things you could do um for rube goldberg machines around your house so even doing those little fun things like that i think those things are things we can do in the classroom now or do as extensions you know at home with our parents you know and have the kids kind of how build long STEM did things it take that for that to happen oh that's like uh that's upwards of a couple hours so i'm not gonna lie about that and i was excited that my wife got on because I wasn't sure she would. So yes, that was that took a lot longer than I thought. So what a great conversation we had today between strategies, key takeaways, um, and we even got a look at some awesome photos. I know I enjoyed this conversation. It was so good to hear the different types of strategies we could use, the key takeaways from everybody. Um, but next, we want to talk about some maybe some upcoming events real quick, and then we'll be able to say adios till next week. Um, as we move on. So Rock Your Class Kahoot is coming up um, March 11th, 2.30 Eastern Standard Time. It's Spanish. This is where you compete all over the world with all kinds of different classes. Such a cool way to get your students excited um, about Spanish if that is something you are teaching. Next, we have Educators Without Borders with Tracy. And Tracy's part of Office Hours, so it's absolutely great to see her there. Um, that is March 18th. So make sure you mark your calendars for that. Cause I know I'm going to be listening to that. I'm really excited about that one as it comes up. Um, and then lastly, we got another person from office hours, um, and the principals, I can the principals corner there. Um, as we move forward, um, that is going to be a great show. So mark your calendars for that. Um, as we, you know, kind of move forward school rubric has so many awesome things coming up and office hours is back next week same time uh shay and pop are talking live broadcast teacher broadcast with with us and what they do for that so thank you so much for our awesome guests for coming today um i had so much fun and i hope you guys did too thank you so much have a good night everybody Thank you for watching School Rubric on YouTube. Make sure that you like, follow, and subscribe in order to stay looped in 
on all of our diverse collection of shows, interviews, panels, tutorials, and more from educators around the globe. And visit us at schoolrubric.com for even more great content such as our online articles, Interact Magazine, featured podcasts, and more. Thank you. This has been the Innovative Teacher Podcast with hosts Naomi Meredith and Spencer Sharp. Tune in next Thursday for another edition as we help teachers learn and grow together and move their classrooms forward. Music by Audionautics.com. Thanks for listening.